Where is Pancake's house? What? We stop at Pancake's house. Greetings, my friend. You are interested in the unknown. The mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing you the full story of what happened. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Can your heart stand the shocking facts of the true story? How you doing? Hello. How you doing? Better than you, you fucking lump of shit. <laughs> wow, you are hammered listening to Oh, it's actually you. It's your voice. It really is you. Destroy fucking slavery that you are. <clears throat> so let's talk. What, uh, what, 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 what's a lie? What should, what should we get to the bottom of? What should we get to the bottom of? Listen, you can't even you can't even speak incoherently. Okay, play it on your show tomorrow. I'll call in. It's fine. <laughs> Little's better than three quarters. It's going fine. <laughs> you know you fucked up. How'd I fuck up, Tom? Relish? I hate pickles. I love it. Who am I relishing in? Hot dogs? <laughs> oh, by the way, I fucked this one. I don't care. I knew it the whole time. Wow, that boss battle was pretty easy. Hang on, let me turn this off. Hey, thanks for listening. This is the very first episode of Pancake's House. I am your host, Danny. Hello. And uh, I guess before we go any further, uh, I should probably explain what you've just heard, in case you're not familiar. I'm sure uh, if you're listening to this right now, you probably don't need much of an explanation, but... I'll leave one here anyway. That was me returning a call to ex-shock uh, jock Anthony Kumia from the Opie and Anthony show from a few days ago. About 2.30 in the morning, uh, I missed his call, I called back, and uh, that's exactly how it went down. That's the, uh, the unedited account. But just to be clear, this is not a show about the old... Uh, satellite radio days or anything like that this is gonna hopefully uh be a, a show about movies uh old and new movies uh also television uh art and collectibles and i guess we could take it from there i just want to give a quick plug and this is on my own nobody you know you didn't pay me or anything uh but that sweet sweet final fantasy 7 cover was a guy I found on youtube named toxic x eternity he's got some other final fantasy stuff He's got some other gaming uh, metal mashups. 
that uh, if you like that, you're definitely going to like that. So uh, uh, check it out. Here's a sample of uh, uh, the opening of Final Fantasy VII real quick. get into the upcoming Final Fantasy 7 remake a little later on. Ugh. So, I guess that means it's time to talk about The Walking Dead. I don't even know why I still watch this show. I don't like it. I think I just keep watching to see how bad it can actually get. Because between the lazy writing, the terrible, terrible gunplay, uh, the, the lack of emotional investment uh, anywhere, uh, I can't imagine who is still left aboard on this train. But apparently there is quite enough of you to keep uh, this terrible show afloat, so what does that really say for Cable at this moment? I uh, Originally, I wanted to say that The Walking Dead sucks, now anyways, because there are just simply too many characters. But I started thinking about that more in depth, and that's not all true. Uh, because when I, I watch Game of Thrones, and I love Game of Thrones, um, I don't think I would ever sit there and complain that there's too many characters on Game of Thrones. Uh, I mean, maybe there, sometimes there is, like when you got the Sand Snakes and the, the High Sparrow, that, that wasn't really a favorite of mine. But it's few and far between, and it's a, whole, uh, it's a whole different discussion in the first place. The point is, is that for all of its colorful characters, the thing that The Walking Dead can't seem to follow through on that Game of Thrones can is resolution. Conflict in Game of Thrones actually gets resolved at some point. I mean, could you imagine if Oberyn Martell came to Westeros and then he and the Mountain played a three-season-long game of cat and mouse? Imagine, or or if if Ned Stark was never killed in season one and he and uh, he he and Tywin Lannister just clashed every few episodes, because that's what it feels like when I'm watching The Walking Dead. If I could even stay awake through it, I've sat down to watch. Um, the episode from March 25th three times already and each time I've fallen into a, a I don't give a shit mode and then I'll look up and the scene that I see it, it could be from any episode in the last two seasons at all it's like you look up and it's like oh here's Maggie and Rick looking mournful by somebody's gravesite uh, or oh hey look here's Ezekiel's, uh, Ezekiel saying something motivating in a, in a stupid voice anyway so here I am trying to watch an episode, and now I can't even focus because I know that Lauren Cohen, who plays Maggie, hasn't even been signed a contract for the next season, and she's actively pursuing pilots. Like, this comes after the unceremonious uh, firing of, of Chandler Riggs, who played Carl. Uh, I mean, it's clear to me, anyway, that current showrunner Scott Gimple would rather look out for you know AMC's bottom line than produce, uh, excuse me, than produce a watchable show. I mean, how do you get rid of your main characters just to save some cash? I mean, where are these characters' resolutions now? I mean, we've been with Carl since season one, and we've literally watched him grow up on camera, and then we just threw him away like, like he was just gum that we got finished with. Where's his resolution? Where's his arc? This kid has been killing zombies and surviving since he was a kid. 
and he gets taken out by a, by a walker bite to the gut? That's stupid. How could it possibly go that way? But it did. And now the same thing is going to happen, watch, with Maggie, because she'll demand the cash that she deserves, and she should get the cash because she's a major character on that show, and she has been for quite a long time, just like Chandler Riggs. And she's not going to get it. They're going to they're gonna play hardball. They're not going to give it to her. She's going to sign a pilot that gets picked up, and then they're going to write Maggie off the show in a similarly ridiculous fashion that they did to Carl. I just don't, I don't understand what the point is. How can I be invested in this show when I already cashed out most of my money? Like, who's, who's still around that I care about? I don't care about anybody. I mean, I barely care about Rick anymore. Everything that he's had has been taken from him. He no longer has his wife. He no longer has Carl. I mean, he's got the kid, I guess, but I mean, like, do you even care? The kid's never a character. Do you care about uh, uh, Rick's relationship with the, gir the girl? Because I don't even know her name. She's so in inconsequential. So why do I care about Rick? Even his best friend is gone, right? So there's nobody. There's nobody in Rick's life, really. Michonne? I guess. Well, I guess we'll have to wait until next week to find out. I just, I don't know why I do it. And I'll watch it. I'll watch next week. I'll do it. Because I just want to watch it die. I want to watch it die. Bringing it back to Game of Thrones again for a second, could you imagine if Jon fucking Snow... Right! Could you imagine if Jon fucking Snow didn't come back next season because of a contract negotiation? So they just kill him by having some random White Walker take him down in a random combat somewhere? You'd be watching that show like, what the fuck? And that's exactly where I'm at with The Walking Dead at this point. Every show is a what-the-fuck kind of boring, dragging-on chore. Carl, by the way, is still alive in the comics, and he had a pretty interesting relationship with Negan. Now that the viewers know they won't be getting that angle, coupled with the uncertainty of Maggie's character, what exactly are people watching for? Are they even watching? Is anybody really watching? Believe it or not, they are. Latest Walking Dead ratings were at a 4.2 which actually puts it in the number one spot on cable TV. Just to give you a little example of how the internet has really affected TV viewership over the years, uh, on this rating list from TV by the Numbers, uh, WWE's Monday Night Raw drew a 1.3. Back, back in my wrestling days, in the 90s of the Monday Night Wars, uh, WWE and WCW would, would fight it out for numbers in the high sevens. Sometimes eight. Give me a hell yeah! What? Yeah! I mean, I know that there's online streaming and, you know, and uh, people DVR stuff, but, you know, those are the numbers, and uh, I'm sure whatever numbers uh, I'm not seeing here are only exponential of the ones that I am seeing here, so I could only assume. I mean, I guess I could do a show about wrestling, but at the end of the day, uh,. The Walking Dead still has four times the audience. And by the way, other shows fighting it out for uh, 1.3 on cable include uh, MTV's Teen Mom, College Basketball, and The Real Housewives of Atlanta. The show really needs to end, and uh, it, it probably needed to do so seasons ago. But this is a good illustration of why it won't. The Walking Dead's after show, The Talking Dead, also scored a 
The show about the show beat out all other original programming and sports, college, basketball. Lazy writing and shitty characters can still make for a number one show on cable. So I guess I can't wait for The Walking Dead Season 13 because this show is not going anywhere as long as cable TV sucks. So aside from TV and movies and all that, I did say that I would talk about um, artwork and collectibles. And one company that's doing both uh, is called Mondo. You might have heard of it before. Uh, You're probably familiar with some of the artwork by not knowing exactly uh, what you're looking at, but you might recognize some of the images if you saw them. Mondo is a small Austin-based art boutique owned by parent company Alamo Drafthouse. If you're unfamiliar with the Alamo Drafthouse, I highly recommend you go check them out. It's the kind of theater where you can get food and drinks right at your seat. Table service. They used to be just out of Texas, but now they've expanded into Brooklyn, so if you're in New York, you can go. Uh, I wanted to bring a draft house to New York about seven years ago, but the liquor laws were different back then, and you couldn't serve uh, alcohol in a dark theater. There was like some kind of law that was a holdover from Prohibition from like the 30s. Uh, so uh, my, my partner at the time, he bailed out, uh, thinking that it was going to be too difficult to change the law. So we just, he bailed on it. And then a, uh, an indie theater called the Nighthawk Cinema started up. And they were the ones to actually go ahead and change that old holdover law from Prohibition. So in New York, you can now serve uh, in a movie theater. Uh, and it's funny, we had been looking at uh, commercial space just about three blocks from where the Nighthawk Cinema had uh, set up shop. Excuse me, uh, just one second. I missed. Where was I? Oh, right, Mondo. So, I've been a huge fan of Mondo since I first discovered them back in probably 08 or 09. They're producing very, very nice, high-quality, really, really sweet images, uh, limited-edition screen-printed posters featuring some of the best uh, alternative art for movie posters that I've seen. It's no big secret that the artistic dimension of movie poster art is... uh, fairly thin, at least in this country, anyway. If you're interested in how other countries display posters for Western media, uh, you're going to definitely want to check out a website called PolishPoster.com. They showcase some really, really fantastic art for American film that I'm sure you've probably never, ever seen before. And uh, anyway, that's what I started to see with Mondo back then, Uh, especially with uh, local Austin native Jay Shaw, who subsequently went on to become their brand director. Uh, I had actually met up uh, in Austin, Texas, uh, at an Alamo Drafthouse screening for The Thing. And uh, I had an old uh, insert from Variety Magazine uh, for The Thing. And uh, we had spoken briefly in the past, and I knew of each other's uh, thing, The Thing Lust. So uh, seeing him again at this past year's San Diego Comic-Con was really awesome, considering, uh, you know, he's got a sweet new gig. And also the fact that Mondo just put out his very first board game, the Thing, Infection at Outpost 31, uh, in collaboration with Project Raygun. Uh, unfortunately, the collector's edition with exclusive artwork is already long sold out, but you can still get the standard version if you're interested over at mondotees.com. If you can swear you've heard this piece of music before, but you've never seen The Thing, it might be because you've seen The Hateful Eight. It comes in right before the death of Kurt Russell's John Wick character when he drinks the poison coffee. 
There's more than a few connections in The Hateful Eight to John Carpenter's The Thing, but for right now, let's just stick with Mondo. I was into Mondo to the point that I'd buy a print every week or so without fail. I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but it started to become less and less of an occurrence. Then, I think I finally figured it out. I think it's likeness rights. As the weeks go on, more and more prints get released, and I see less and less character likenesses. Not like that's a terrible thing. I don't exactly need to see who's in the movie to be reminded of the movie. Uh, but if that's so, why do so many artists feel the need to focus on the characters to form an image? The visual medium of film would seem to suggest that it would be easy to pick and pack various instances of symbolism uh, in the film and, and take it from there, or create your own instances of symbolism in the film. But then I see releases like Black Panther by Dennis Cohen, uh, which is just basically the back of Black Panther looking over Wakanda. I also see the same thing uh, in a similar fashion for Jock's uh, Empire Strikes Back. Another one that seems to do it, except I guess not on, on exactly the same scale, but Kevin Tong's 2001 A Space Odyssey. And let's see, also Goonies, uh, not only by George Bledsis, but uh, also James Flames. It's just the backs of all these guys. Let's take, let's, let's go for more. Let's look. Mark Aspinall's Mary Poppins. But I think perhaps the best, uh, well, the best, <laughs> I, I, perhaps the worst offender of all uh, is... Laurent Deroux, uh, for who some reason, when tasked with the official Disney license for Bambi, decided to literally go with Bambi's back. I guess maybe the Bambi estate was asking for too much money. I don't know. Anyway, I really do hope to see some more inspiring pieces coming out of Mondo, because I really just don't need another Batman the Animated Series print. Now, of course, Mondo has also gotten to the pressed vinyl game as of the last few years with some pretty cool releases, including some video game soundtracks uh, like Contra, uh, Revenge of Shinobi, and uh, they've also done some pretty cool uh, die cut stuff like uh, Superman, like the Superman S uh, for Superman the Animated Series, and they also even did a, a bat signal shaped vinyl, really cool for Batman the Animated Series, uh, but who's really killing it out there is when it comes to vinyl. Uh, is Waxwork Records. I mean, don't get me wrong, Mondo does a pretty good job, and their packaging is pretty sweet, because you're going to get a lot of really cool uh, artwork inside the packaging as well, and a nice art book. And just a heads up, the Bill & Ted's Excellent Adventure vinyl may or may not be already on sale right now, so check Mondotees.com. If you're into that, you might, uh, you might score. Excellent! But Waxwork... Uh, they're doing some really cool things with their vinyl pressings themselves. Um, I mentioned Creepshow now just simply because they uh, it came with they had a special edition that came with a uh, a turntable mat that was just a pretty cool extra to get with their with their collector's edition. Uh, but the ones that really come to mind are uh, they did a blood filled pressing of Friday the Thirteenth, which is just it's super cool to see. It's uh, it's amazing looking. Uh, Liquid-filled vinyl is not anything new, but uh, when it's applied in, in such an artful way, uh, especially in such a context, uh, it really can do something for uh, for it. It really it really brings it out in a different way. Uh, another one that was really sweet was the uh, clear vinyl Rosemary's Baby. Uh, it was pretty cool, just completely see-through, uh, crystal clear. Uh, very cool stuff. Uh, I don't. Uh, I'm not sure if Mondo uh, has already emailed for their poster release this week. Uh, I don't really see it anywhere, but uh, anyway, that, I guess that's my Mondo wrap-up for right now. I just, you know, I haven't been into them in a long time, and I just really hope that they could bring me back. 
As I mentioned earlier, there are plenty of connections between John Carpenter's The Thing and Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Much more than just Kurt Russell and some of the original soundtrack, a lot of the film's beats play out in very similar ways. In both films, we have a group of men snowbound by a giant storm. Well, a group of men and one woman. Daisy Domergue being the only woman, and McCready's chess wizard being the other. She's a bitch. As we progress in both films, nobody is quite sure of people who are they say they are. A good example of this would be how Sam Jackson's character, Major Warren, is shown to be an unreliable narrator in regards to the Lincoln letter, and now the viewer is left to wonder whether or not the other stories he's told are true, and if so, exactly how much of it is true. The same can be said for The Thing and its motives. Once we have a reveal of who The Thing was, we can now go back and watch it again and try and decide if the infected character acted the way it did to protect itself in the way that Warren tells his story to protect his true self. Even the cart driver, OB, just like helicopter pilot RJ McCready, wears an oversized, almost silly hat uh, with round frame mountaineering goggles as well and a furry beard. And they also go by their initials, OB, RJ, just another little thing. You've gotta be fucking kidding. Poor baby, you're starting to lose it, aren't you? Even visually, we can easily see homage being paid in full to this Carpenter classic. We have these huge, sweeping wide shots featuring the brutal isolation of winter in the mountains. We force the viewer to watch through the window as people arrive in the snow. I mentioned chess earlier, and there's a chess game going on at Minis. There's plenty of nighttime exteriors lit against the vast mountainscapes as well. I'm not gonna name every inst- Fucking chair, suck it, fuckface. <clears throat> I'm not going to name every instance of walking around in the snow. I mean, for real, they are both snow movies. However, there are a few mirrored scenes, like when Nalls falls into Outpost 31 with the snow gusting in behind him, it's fairly identical to the scene in Hateful Eight where OB stumbles in from the snowstorm. There's even a similar quick draw scene, which I guess makes sense for a western, but it still felt a bit connected to The Thing, when McCready shoots the dog wrangler. Now in The Thing, there's a plot where Dr. Blair is building his craft out of helicopter parts underneath his shack, or put another way, he's hiding his secret just as Jody is found under the floorboards in Hateful Eight. Even the final moments of the third act line up fluidly with both main characters resigned to the fact that they're not going to make it, but they do still manage to come together to kill their enemy. Both films end with both of our characters too weak to fight it out, and the movie simply ends. If that sounds like it's way too much to be a coincidence, it's really because it's not. Here's what Quentin Tarantino himself had to say about it at a press conference for the film. I don't think that this is influenced by that many other westerns, but one movie it's definitely influenced by is John Carpenter's version of The Thing, which also had Kurt Russell, and also had a score by Ennio Morricone. But now that actually makes sense, because this movie is very influenced by Reservoir Dogs, and that movie was very influenced by The Thing. The characters are trapped in one room, and they can't trust anybody, and there's a horrible blizzard going on outside. But the biggest influence when it came to that was the effect that the thing had on me in a movie theater on opening night. And I think it was the first time I was able to break down in a more critical way the effect of a film, i.e. the paranoia was so strong between those characters, and it was trapped in such an enclosed space that the paranoia just started bouncing off the walls until it had nowhere else to go but through the fourth wall and into the audience. If you've seen both films, some of this should have been obvious. For us major The Thing fans, that piece of original score was the final wink that I needed from Tarantino to let all of us know how influential The Thing has been on him after all of these years. 
John Carpenter's The Thing, even at 35 years old, holds up to this day and will continue to influence filmmakers for decades to come. It's cold outside, I've been running for miles, helicopter trailing behind. Hey, it's a camp thing, I'll stay for a while, won't you help a doggy out of a bind? There's nothing to see here, I'm only a husky, your average adorable rover. But once I convince you it's okay to trust me, your civilization is over. I can't wait to see their faces when I spring, yes sir. Cause they think that I'm a dog, but I'm the thing, I'm the thing baby. Can you tell that I'm not from around here? Did you know that things are worse than you feared? Cause I've been to a million planets And I can copy you right down to your beard You can check on your ancient computer It's astonishing how quickly I spread You can pick up an axe and go crazy But I can grow legs from my head So I might be MacReady or maybe I'm Doc Blair's been acting awfully suspicious that Gary's a liar, be sure to watch Clark And Windows, well he's just delicious So perform your little test Hey, you found me, I'm impressed Hate to interrupt your endless bickering Big surprise guys, I'm not Palmer I'm the thing from another world, baby Oh, you really gotta love paranoia More than half of you believe that I'm Mac Once you make up your mind You can blow me up Or you can burn me or keep coming back I could be anyone So watch those hands, Doc, ouch You'll either end up dead Or tied to this fucking couch we're well past the point of silly denials So am I McCready or could I be Childs? Which one am I, baby? These poor bastards in the snow They were clueless, now they know it's a special brand of nightmare that I bring Yes, they thought I was a dog But I'm the thing Years ago, I remember seeing a PlayStation 3 tech demo featuring the opening of Final Fantasy VII. And ever since, I've been craving a remake of this 20-year-old icon. With the PlayStation 4 approaching middle age, we're finally getting our wish. Kind of. While there is indeed some really impressive footage of the Final Fantasy VII remake, the entire game will be released episodically. I'm not too sure how I feel about that. I recall playing Telltale Games' Walking Dead episodic content and becoming incredibly frustrated by the end that I couldn't simply just keep playing. It's not like anything in the Final Fantasy VII Remake will be incredibly new. We all know the story by now. Ares is gonna die. Spoiler alert! So I can't imagine getting to the end of the first chapter 
and being anything but annoyed that now I have to wait four to six months to continue playing a game that I've played easily five times since I'm a teenager. The episodic release did kinda work for Telltale, as I felt like I had to wait for the next episode to find out what happens, but this is completely different. This isn't based off a television property, and it's not exactly original content. Imagine paying $5 to see the first half hour of Fight Club in 4K, and then you have to wait six months and pay another $5 to watch the next half hour? I had been considering getting a PS4, specifically for the Final Fantasy VII Remake, thinking that I would just be able to buy the disc or download the install, but at this point I think I'm just going to wait it out and see how it all unfolds. There was a recent job posting at Square specifically for this title, so at least you know it's not vaporware. Not yet. There's no official release date set, but Square has been releasing bull shots, I mean, um, screenshots. And take this for whatever it's worth, uh, but Amazon does have the title listed as having a December 31st release date. Probably not accurate, just a placeholder, I'm sure. So of course I like to go to the movies often, and a few weeks ago there was a movie playing in theaters called Annihilation. You might have heard of it, maybe not. Um, it's, it's been off a lot of people's radars, so um, I'll try to keep things as spoiler-free as I can. Leading up to the release of Annihilation, I saw the film being criticized for being, quote, too smart, and it would have a tough time finding an audience. Sounds like a challenge to me. So seeing as I have Movie Pass, I went to see it knowing that if it was shit, it was just a waste of time and not necessarily money. Now hang on, I don't have sponsors, this is not a plug, but please, let me tell you how fucking awesome Movie Pass is. If you don't know what Movie Pass is or how it works, it's a monthly service that you can subscribe to. Uh, right now they're doing a promotion where it's $6.95 a month. A month. Now check it out. You get access to one uh, non-3D, non-IMAX, but you can go to any regular movie per day. Per day. Not a month, not, a, not every week. You can go see a movie per day. If, I mean, if you had the time and you actually want to. For a film addict like me, I cannot speak highly enough about MoviePass. Think about it, if you get that $6.95 a month deal, and you only go to the movies once a month, I mean, that's basically, you just you just doubled your ROI with a MoviePass. I mean, a standard movie ticket's what, like 13 bucks at this point? 13, 14 bucks at some places? And if you have a participating AMC theater near you with one of those Coke Freestyle machines, you can just go and dig up a cup out of the garbage and get your drink for free. So. Annihilation is supposed to be this too-cool-for-the-room film about an alien life form that can splice or refract, if you will, DNA. Hey, kitty. I'm trying to do this. Annihilation is supposed to be this too-cool-for-the-room film about an alien life form that can splice or refract, if you will, DNA. We're led into this life form's domain, which has been thriving on Earth inside of this bubble called the Shimmer. Nobody has returned from an expedition inside the Shimmer, and yet another team takes the plunge to explore its mysteries. That's more or less your entire first act. When Act 2 begins inside the Shimmer, we're told that the team has lost a large portion of time, and they don't recall setting up camp and then some. I kept waiting for this plot device to become relevant at some point, but it never does. If the duration of the film occurs, and the loss of time is never mentioned again, or never even matters, why is it even there? I want to believe that I'm missing something and that it actually is a major plot device, but I just don't think so. A lot of the film is literally just walking around the woods looking at cool alien life forms, both plant and animal. Visually, yes, this movie is definitely on point, 
The effects for the Shimmer look very unique, as does the life birth inside of it, but plot-wise, you're really not going to find too much meat on the bone here. It's just basically an expedition team gets sent inside to explore a dangerous alien world. I mean, that's, that's a million movies. That's not too smart for me. I, I can handle that. I also understand the mirrored meaning of the Shimmer itself. Early in the film, cancer is mentioned, and they even show cancer cells dividing. Even one of the main characters has cancer, and it becomes a topic of discussion. One might argue that the Shimmer is the cancer, infecting and growing on Earth. Another way you could put it is that humanity is a cancer growing on the Earth, but I refuse to go with that one because that's not too smart for me. That's more like, I'm 14 and this is deep, so we can just go ahead and scratch that. I think a better compromise is simply that creation comes from death and change. Cancer doesn't know that it's bad. It's just trying to divide, live, and grow. It just happens to kill you in the process. That's how I feel about the Shimmer. Nothing about it is explicitly malicious. Nothing's coming out of the Shimmer to kill people. The Shimmer is expanding, but aside from that, it's just growing. The Shimmer doesn't know that it's bad. It's just doing its thing. The third act is truly bizarre, avant-garde, and uh, most definitely up for interpretation. Other viewers compared it to the final scene of 2001 A Space Odyssey, but I'm not about to take it that far. There's definitely a mood and it's very cerebral, I'll give it that. But I think perhaps my favorite part of the film is the score. The track which plays over the third act confrontation is very infectious, creepy, and acts almost as the voice of the alien. A large chunk of the third act is without dialogue. Annihilation, while released in theaters here in the US, had a Netflix premiere in the rest of the world. As excited as I was for the Cloverfield Paradox, it's looking like Netflix is the new direct-to-video. I do hope that changes, though, because I do not want to start thinking of them as some gas station DVD bin, and let's be honest, that's exactly where Annihilation and the Cloverfield Paradox belong. Thanks for checking out this premiere edition of Pancakes House. Be sure to check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash pancakeshouse for access to exclusive content and info. I'm fucking hungry now, you know. For questions, comments, or advertising opportunities, write me at pancakeshousepodcast at gmail.com. That's a... Uh, that's a fountain of conversation, man. That's a geyser. That's a geyser.